You know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about Back Row. Here's how to order. Greetings, listeners. It's Dan talking to you about Patreon. That's right. We have a Patreon here at Back Row. We are running on donations from listeners just like yourself. We have a goal right now of $150 a month. We have recently hit our goal of being able to keep the lights on, so thank you. And if you go sign up for a dollar, for three dollars, for five dollars, you're going to get a number of different perks. They can go from early episodes to bonus episodes to a end of the year swag bag. You're not going to want to miss out on this, so go to patreon.com slash backrowcineblog or backdashrow.com and scroll to the bottom of the page and click on Patreon. Thank you in advance and enjoy the episode. Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A podcast like no other. Different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to Notes from the Back Row. Here in the back row with me today is Veronica Dolginko. Dolginko? Dolginko, please. Dolginko. <laughs> We've only known each other for 13 <laughs> years. And I am Jenna Ipcar. Does that help? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we are today, we are going to, to speak about... Um, some drag movies and i thought who better to talk about drag movies than veronica professional drag performer if you knew that you hopefully know that if you've listened to previous episodes but if you didn't know that veronica is a drag king in san francisco and you can see her perform on a non-coronavirus night yeah (laughs) not currently but i'm sure at some point in the near future there'll be podcast where I'm talking about upcoming shows but as of right now yeah uh the drag scene in San Francisco is certainly certainly a spectacular one where we are lucky enough to have a lot of acceptance for drag kings or faux queens which are women doing female drag uh which is you know funny that that it seems like such a new concept you know that people are like in the drag world are kind of exploring and navigating it right now. But if you watch Victor Victoria, <laughs> you see that this has been around for a while. Totally. And so I'm, we're bringing up Victor Victoria and when we're not talking about, well, yet yeah, we will be talking about the 1982 one with uh, Julie Andrews and James Garner, but we're actually talking about the 1933 Victor and Victoria, which is a German film directed by Reinhold Schunzel. <laughs> and all of Germany stops listening. Yeah, my German pronunciation is only going to get worse. Um, part of the reason I'm talking about this is if you looked on Back Row, the site back-row.com, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote about Victor and Victoria, as well as a series called The Pioneers of Queer Cinema, which was put out by Kino Lorber on Video On Demand with in conjunction with a bunch of movie theaters. So you can watch all of these. They came out on June 12th. 
And that includes Victor and Victoria from 1933. It includes Madchen in Uniform, uh, 1931, which is another famous queer movie about a schoolgirl falling in love uh, with her headmistress at a boarding house. Um, great movie. Uh, and then there's also Michael from 1924, which is a silent German film about an artist and his muse who is a boy who, well, a young man, uh, he's legal, uh, who um, also similarly, he falls in love with him. He paints the best picture of his career. And Michael has eyes for a woman, unfortunately. So uh, all of these movies are awesome. And you should check them out. If you want to read more about them, go on the site backdashrow.com. I'll have a link for where you can watch them. We'll plug right here, uh, Roxy Theater, a virtual screening room in San Francisco, uh, that theater, that Roxy. (laughs) They're playing this at time of recording, and so you can go ahead and and watch it through them, or uh, a a handful of other ones are coming out. But yeah, so I I wanted to talk, though, with Veronica about Victor and Victoria. The original Victor and Victoria here, as I said, came out in 1933. The Weimar Republic has ended. (laughs) If you know anything about it, it was a very interesting time in in German cultural history. Bit of a mess. This was like their post-World War I boom and bust economy. And in 1933 was actually the year that Hitler took power. And by the time Victor and Victoria was released, basically a full year into Hitler being in power. And it's actually very interesting that this got through because, of course, Hitler was pretty quickly trying to censor what was coming out in cinemas. And this is obviously a fairly queer film. Yeah, right. At least like playing with set dynamics. It's not nearly as like scandalous as it could be played, but it's... It's definitely more farcical, which is probably how it managed to slip through. It doesn't really dive into, like, the weirdness of show business or people trying to figure out if, if uh, Victor is a man or a woman. And But it's, I could still see it being subversive enough in the 30s that it is surprising it wasn't uh, flagged, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and this one, I mean, if you don't know the plot of Victor and Victoria, uh, I mean, I didn't realize that the 1933 version, this original version, was a, a musical, essentially. It's, it's <laughs> not just that it was that they perform musical numbers, but they're, like it's almost operatic in that they, they sing what's happening half the time and, it, and all of these really silly rhymes as they're singing. Uh, so half of this movie is sung, basically, which is really fun and cute. Um, and yeah, it's definitely uh, it's played up playing up the, the comedic elements of this uh, and the plot real quickly. is just that there's a, a an aspiring singer named Suzanne who uh, was played by uh, Renata Muller. And she meets uh, this man named Victor, who is a sort of failed actor. And this is played by uh, Herman Timig. I think. <laughs> and we'll go with that. Oh, I'll go with it. And uh, yeah, and so they sort of come up with this plan that she 
impersonates it. Basically, he says that he used to do a, be a female impersonator, and he says, you know what, with your voice, you should be a male impersonator, and then you know you'll you'll and no one will will believe it, which would work for you because everyone wants to. You know, as long as you cut your hair, everyone's going to think you're a boy. And of course, this works. And, and a, they get picked up by an agent. And uh, you know, the rest is history. She becomes very famous until she meets, uh, you know, a man who kind of has some confused sexual feelings for her and tries to sniff out if she is indeed a woman or a man. Uh, and yeah, I I really like this. This was just it was so cute and charming. Uh, what, had, what What did you think about it? I really, as you know, since I, you know, I texted Jenna while I was watching this because I love the 1982 version and I was sort of surprised at how like swept along I got in this one, especially since at first it's not that I was like, what the hell? But when people would sing and then stop and then like sing, you know, where I was kind of like, what is going on for the first like couple of scenes, you know, where I was like, oh, this is this is unusual. Is it a musical? Is it, is it like, you know, a little bit straighter of a movie? It was like a very funny mix of things, but I did really like it. It's a little bit sweeter than the remake. And, you know, part of it is, is just style of, of movie making, but it's a little bit like simpler. You know, there doesn't seem to be as much like controversy roiling in the background. Like there are in the, the remake there is in the remake and I really laughed really hard at a lot of there's a lot of scenes especially towards the end that almost feel like a collection of uh like physical comedy sketches there's the yeah. whole scene of her getting shaved with you know her her paramour and and there'll just kind of be these things where it's like just a a chunk of something happening and then the next scene and you know and it He's basically walking her through all of these typical male activities just to try to sniff her out. And yeah, and she's she's trying her best to just go through it and with with as much dignity as she can. But she's clearly a little scandalized and and he's picking up on it. (laughs) And there's a scene where the guy, the Hempel character has a a gun uh, and he's like, you know, kind of tucking it. He's also funny where he's like a much more sort of depressive character than uh, his counterpart in the 1982 one. Right. He's like really kind of kind of a maniac and kind of like a sad sack at the same time. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's a... But he's got a gun and he's hiding it and he winds up like shooting off the head of a statue and he's like, oh, and like ducks out of the room. It's something where <laughs> I was like, it's a Three Stooges sketch almost, you know, but right. really like found myself laughing and really enjoying it. And of course, the, the things in in any sort of older movie where you get to see styles that don't happen as much. And with uh, this, it's like the Metropolis montage of eyes just overlaying. They have like that one moment where everyone's like, it's a boy, it's a boy. And it's just all these weird, like it's a marquee. And then it's all these people in the audience. It's just kind of like shots, you know, it's not quite as like, smooth a montage as we're used to but it's a proto montage you know you could see how if it was made 30 years later what it would have looked like um but yeah i i enjoyed it i really i thought it was it was a lot funnier than i expected i thought i was gonna be like okay i'm watching this from a historical perspective and i'm enjoying it for what it is but after like about 10 minutes i really was like i am loving this movie (laughs) 
Yeah, it's really, it was really cute. I mean, surprisingly so, especially to, I think, watching foreign films, uh, d- no matter where you are, what in any, in any country, sometimes can be really hard, especially to get humor of any movie from another country. But this was just, yeah, as you said, it's mostly slapstick, so it right. was really easy to unpack. And I'm sure there was more wordplay that we missed because it's in German. I mean, I noticed that all the songs rhyme very simply, which I thought was funny. But, um, you know, there's got to be I'm sure there's something that we're missing there. But I don't know. Like, I was fine. Like, when they finally get this manager, he keeps slapping her on the shoulder like she's a man. And she, like, (laughs) cannot deal with it. And he just keeps, like, everything he this guy says every time he, you know, and, of course, it's all sort of rhyming, too, because he's singing, and he'll be like, you know, great job, and slaps her, and she's like, oh, God, you know, like, <laughs> trying her best, and then even the, the Victor guy, like, same thing, he's like, oh, my God, this guy will not stop. I also thought that character, who is in it briefly, you know, their manager isn't, like, he's, he's a, a driving force because he kicks him off, but you don't see a ton of him, even when, like, shit starts to go down you know they're not like oh we got to call our manager um but he's funny the first scene he's in when he's like slapping her on the shoulder and stuff he's like two hundred dollars like he just kind of keeps going like i'll give you everything you want and money 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 (laughs) like this really just a bizarre again it, it like i guess it also to me feel feels more like i could see it as a stage play it has right. like these more broad caricatures, which again is also the difference between 50 years in filmmaking. Uh, but, you know, just someone kind of being like, aha, I am here and here's your money. That's not enough for you. Have another 200, you know, <laughs> just it's really just to the point. I mean, and it's an hour and 39 minutes long. It's not like it's an hour long. It's it's a pretty solid movie as far as like it, it you would think that something that when you're describing it is farcical and slapstick and broad caricatures would probably be a TV show, you know, something a little bit shorter form, but it's not, it's a, it is a full movie and you don't really get sick of it. It's not like at some point you're like, Oh, I wish someone would have some emotional depth the whole time. You're just kind of like, yeah, all right. All right. Right. Oh, you're sad because she loves that guy and he loves her. You know, that that girl that got, that guy loves doesn't care about him. Oh, and now you're all happy. You know, but it's <laughs> very definitely charming. Yeah. I, and it was interesting, too, to watch this coming out with, you know, this in this trio of, of queer cinema, because in a way it didn't feel... I don't know. I wanted a little more from it as far as being queer, though it's undeniably queer because it's about messing around with with gender, which anything pre, I don't know, current day, I feel like yeah. <laughs> it's like, good job. Like you, you're yeah. on to something. You, you figured something out. Um, but there is there are actually some really interesting lines in this that, it, it you know, about gender roles and more so than it being queer, it did feel like a really interesting kind of jab at male-female expectations, you know, on top of her, as we mentioned, her trying to, to deal with the fact that people, all these guys are treating her like a man and, and kind of slapping her around or making her sit on a stool with her legs wide open and stuff like that, which, you know, <laughs> would be very improper for a lady, but as a man, she can do it. Uh, I also love that Victor, at, when he's trying to pitch her the idea of her becoming this Victoria, he says, you know, how far did you ever get as a female singer? But as a man, people want you. People are going to fight for you. And it's right. like, it's like shit, you know, like true. Yeah. <laughs> 
even as a man pretending to be a woman, she's way more hireable. And it's true. And she gets, you know, all of this fame and fortune for being a man, being a woman, uh, which she doesn't receive whatsoever as a woman being herself. So right. I thought that was really interesting. Because there's also not to call it subtext, because I, I don't I think that might be like too specific of a word for it. But there are a couple of tertiary female characters who are background performances or they're sitting there getting balloons shot off their head. There is this kind of, even if it's just sort of a visual history of where women, like what women did in show business, and they don't mean for it to be sort of poignant as it is to the story because it's, you know, now almost 100 years later, you can sort of feel it throughout the whole movie where it's like, well, you can pretend to be a man pretending to be a woman and you're going to be center stage with lights on you or you're always going to be someone's backup act. If you're an actual woman, you're going to be having balloons shot off your head or you're going to be a pretty background dancer, you know, and then that's got a that's got a shelf life, right? Hempel who like starts the whole movie by playing playing Hamlet, but he also wasn't doing well with it apparently right. he like carries around the reviews of people who just like ripped him apart but he's still getting jobs you know where it's like all these female performers are showing up and doing doing what they have to do but they're never going to get recognition they're just just back up just back up just the props uh so that was i'm sure somewhat intentional but it seems hard to be like that was definitely point uh, up a point that the movie was making i think it just sort of happened to be what what the reality was yeah i don't think i wouldn't say that this was i mean it's not i don't know it's tough to say i would want to see more movies i guess from the 30s in germany which is admittedly a bit of a blind spot for me uh, a lot of these pre-1950s films i've i really need to spend more time with but i know that like a lot of pre-code movies in the u.s uh, and in Europe uh, end up being way more feminist and cool than uh, ex- than we expect uh, because the 40s suck so much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't go as far as to say that this was a deeply feminist film, but it sure flirts with it. And yeah, I think that, you know, they, they, they do call out certain things. They don't call much attention to the other women in the movies. Though I the only thing I thought that was kind of queer in this which I enjoyed was when she's Victoria, they call her Mr. Victoria, which I also enjoyed <laughs> when she's walks around in, in this like, you know, tuxedo as, as Mr. Victoria, uh, she really enjoys just being by herself and just kind of being able to have that freedom. And, and she starts to sort of make eye contact with women in the room who are all staring at her because they're, they're super attracted to her, right. which was, which was funny to me because I feel like it did tap into the, the universal truth that like the ideal man is a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. You know, it's like, I I can't deny it. Like, yeah, I get it. But um, they didn't, they don't do much with that. I mean, even like the man who is in love with her, I think he never, and, and this sort of carries on into the 1982 Victor and Victoria, which we'll totally talk about, but like he never, he, he sort of is maybe a little more confused than James Garner ever gets, but um, I didn't feel like they really played with that enough when they when they could have. But they also then again, as you said, like they went for this uh, comedy angle, which was really just fun and and silly. And so, I'm like, fine, that's <laughs> right. No complaints, but and I wonder if you know. And this is speculation. This I don't have a ton to back this up. 
but I know this was like as Hitler was taking control. But I read this book called Blitzed a couple of years ago, which was like about how the Nazis were all on meth. And uh, oh yeah, 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 it's great. I highly recommend it. Everyone should read it, and it's a fun read too. You can read it pretty quickly. Uh, but it starts with talking about like the scene in a lot of the cities, especially Berlin. Berlin's a big focus in the book during the 20s, like leading up to um, Hitler taking power. When things, when we were having our roaring 20s, they were having their like amphetamine 20s. You know, there was a lot of that. And there was a big party scene and there was, homosexuality wasn't as as big of a deal as it became. It's like you were saying the thing about the, the Hayes Code, things like made before the code. We we wouldn't necessarily consider them scandalous. Um, I The Roxy does a whole series uh, before the code that shows like, and there's this old version of <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that really, you know, it shows a woman's leg. It shows like part of a, like kind of like a side boob, you know, but it also has prostitutes talking to each other about work and that was like this the the big no-no they were like discussing sex very openly yeah oh well you just can't you can't let the man you know inside of you that kind of stuff but even so it's like maybe there were things in the 20s that were kind of okay and then just got in the 30s 40s 50s everything got so shut down and so restrictive that we kind of forget that like there might have been more liberal attitudes towards things, not nearly as liberal as today, but like, you know, something still, especially in a place like Berlin in before Hitler came to power, like maybe it just wasn't that big of a deal for a dude to be kind of confused about being like, well, that's a pretty man. I don't know if I'm gay, but that man, you know, it's just because you're right. He, he doesn't seem to have that big of an issue with the fact that he's attracted to what he thinks is a man. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there were basically my understanding of how homosexuality was treated, at least during the Weimar Republic and, and, and even before, is that it was it is illegal, but the cops didn't particularly enforce that. And so there right. were still gay clubs and there were still these scenes and especially cabarets. So it wasn't, I don't know, it was sort of one of these, I guess they call it an open secret kind of things. And so, and certainly this movie is, is clearly a, a more progressive <laughs> yeah. lens on this and, and would have been a little, probably much happier with having something even more explicit, but um, right. You know. It's like the Berlin stories by Christopher Isherwood, which is like what cabaret was based on you know loosely in a lot of ways he he was someone who was living in germany during the 30s and it it did kind of seem like you said open secret where it was like well yeah i mean i'd slept with that guy i guess i don't know if he's gay but i slept with him you know that kind of attitude <laughs> like oh okay europe that's fine <laughs> well, that's why americans think you're weird <laughs> we're not we're not used to that you gotta pick a side we have a lock on our closet door yeah right so on a scale of um one to rupaul's drag race uh where would you put <laughs> victoria in this as far as her drag king persona Ugh. i mean i guess that's hard to say because it's like am i judging judging her as a drag king like when she's actually pretending to be a man yeah. Or when she's a faux queen, you know, where she's like playing a woman. To be honest, she just 
it's kind of the running joke with a lot of these like women dressed up as men movies is that nobody would ever believe them. And I don't think she made the most convincing man, but it's also, I don't think for the point of the movie, she wasn't supposed to. Otherwise it's not as funny. You know, I think some of the humor was people being like, look at that slim shouldered young man over there. (laughs) You know, Oh, he's so tiny. Uh, nobody says that explicitly, but you see you're standing next to people. And I'm like, oh, he's so little. Yeah, tiny little guy. Um, you're like, you're like, no one says it explicitly except for me. Right. My daily life. <laughs> like, look. Uh, so I would say, you know, I would give her a five. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I feel like as a performer, she wasn't committing enough. Right. She, I thought she looked pretty okay um, as far as, like, like dapper young 1930s men go. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, like, but I don't know. But then again, I feel like we both have lower voices than any of the women in any of these movies. Right, right. And I feel like, I feel like we could really do a, a better job at that bit. But, <laughs> <be> great, man. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so then let's talk about the remake and then we can kind of compare and contrast a little bit. There's been a couple remakes, but we were going to talk about the 1982 Victor and Victoria, which is directed by Blake Edwards and stars Julie Andrews, James Garner and Robert Preston. plot you you know the plot now um except that this is definitely a different film in that it spends way more time setting up the characters introducing you getting you settled giving you just so much fun character work and this character of carol toddy a todd who is robert preston's character who as he's the self-described old queen who runs into julie andrews who's victoria and they both sort of hatch this scheme because she, long story she short, jumps out of a closet. Yeah, she jumps out of a closet in a suit. And he's like, hey, you should like sing this way because she wasn't, of course, even as Julie Andrews with that voice is not getting a job and is desperate. Right. And then once she gets this gig at playing Victoria, Mr. Victoria again, um, James Garner comes in as King Marshawn, who is a club <laughs> owner. And he sees her in a, a really excellent um, scene where she's singing as as a, a man dressed as a woman. And he is just sort of like mouth open, totally in love with her until she pulls the wig off. And then he's just <laughs> has this look <laughs> on his face of just complete, utter devastation. I like this movie a lot. I had never seen this, actually. So this was my first time watching this uh, for this podcast. And I found it really charming and cute i love movies that really sit with characters like this and really like give you just nice quiet moments to learn about who exactly they are um i thought this was also laugh out loud funny in a different way but surprisingly surprisingly laugh out loud funny for a movie from 1982 that really doesn't make gay jokes right which is no yeah carol carol is 
he's uh, amazing robert preston is the very, best part of the whole movie yes and he's a very sympathetic realistic character one of my favorite scenes in this movie is you know kind of towards it's past the midpoint so it's like when things are really going strong and julie andrews just like starts crying like she cannot stop crying and he's hugging her and going like i'm so jealous of you being able to cry and she's like what are you kidding me and he's like no wait till you can't cry anymore then you'll wish you could cry like this like once you you know he kind of talks about like stunting himself emotionally just to survive and being like i can't cry anymore i want to i'm not going like i'm such a strong person i'm so broken that i can't even cry um and you know it's yeah it isn't a movie that makes gay jokes the gay character in it is so fleshed out uh and so realistic you know he's not some like prancing guy just like oh whatever we'll do this he has a lot of sympathy towards uh julie andrews in it you know he's not even just going like this is a quick way to make a buck when they first start interacting he's you know kind of like i don't know what to tell you kid it's rough out there it's not he doesn't have an opportunistic like the the victor hempel character in the 33 one is like a little bit more of like a schemer or at least he's just like so he's he's like so weird and bizarre that he comes across as a schemer he's not real uh but the carol todd character is definitely a more grounded version of like an old gay performer who's just over it who's just done with doing it and i will say that Julie Andrews, even though I don't ever think anyone would actually believe she's a man, um, <laughs> <laughs> like come on. But when it's when it comes to her performances, when she's actually performing, she does perform like a drag queen. Yeah. You know, she does. It is someone clearly. There's a woman. The reason this woman's been a gay icon, you know, is that <laughs> she really does how to do the flourishes. She does that like Vargas girl stare where she's just like looking right out into the audience as if she's making eye contact with someone and like unblinking, you know, really more, more of a presence as opposed to just someone being on stage. You can, I think also part of that is Julie Andrews, Julie Andrews. And then at this point, you know, 1982, it's not like Julie Andrews was fresh out of the box. This is someone who's like, knows how to perform right like i thought you meant looks wise for i was like girl that's oh mean. no she looks beautiful <laughs> she looks great she still looks beautiful <laughs> i remember seeing the uh commercials for the princess diaries years ago and being like damn julie andrews <laughs> like <laughs> i know you're getting work done but at least you're like doing it well yeah, I thought this movie it makes a it makes a real point to normalize homosexuality in a really positive at, le- at least in an, like a relatively eighties positive way. There's no um, it, it's all just about people being people. The as I said, the, all the jokes the, and the jokes are brilliant in this. I actually thought this was really funny because half of the jokes are just uh, in in the editing and how the movie's shot. Like, I love the scene when they're at the diner and she's trying to get a free meal by throwing a cockroach in her salad. <laughs> and the whole thing builds. It's this whole sort of farcical scene. But it ends on this perfect note of just suddenly it cuts to outside the diner several feet. And the camera's just like, you can see the full diner and the screen. And you see everyone inside with, you can't hear them, but you can see everyone inside just like screaming and like running on tables and all of this. And it's just sort of like this serene outside shot of just like a nice little cafe. It was really perfect. <laughs> it was just so well done. Yeah. And and Robert Preston, everything, 
he says is hilarious because he's just has that energy of just like over it. Like, you know, yeah. fucking, I've lived, I've lived too much. I've seen too much shit and it's not getting any better for me. Kind of act, add, uh, attitude. And uh, James Garner was, uh, has like, to me, he had like a strong Burt Reynolds energy in this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Might just be the mustache, but also, I don't know. He, um, he's never, he doesn't ever feel confused which I thought was actually the one ding I have on this film. I actually, again, didn't feel like this was a terribly queer movie when it could have been. I really really wanted both of these films to play more with the idea of people not knowing and questioning themselves. You know, like if, if he really fell in love with a man, like would he would the first thing that he would start doing as someone who was up to this point thought himself the most like straight, uh, you know, cis dude in, in the planet would he then just like be like, okay, I'm going to like get into a closet and figure this out. I feel like there would be more like angst. (laughs) Sure. I wonder though, if I guess because we have this like suspension of disbelief going through it, right. Where it's like, we all see Julie Andrews wearing a tux and we go like, I don't think anybody in a million years would think that's a man. I think they would look like, be like, look at that that woman wearing a tux you know there's even stuff where it's like well she doesn't have an adam's apple um so maybe to have someone really like you know head in hands wondering who they are and why they feel this way might be a little too much for a movie where people are already going like <laughs> but that's not a man you know right yeah but- i i'm with you it's true because it wouldn't and it would feel out of place and again it's like a movie that's going for a slight more lighthearted this has more depth but like also just it's a lighthearted funny charming film so it wouldn't really work but I'm also kind of like I I don't know I feel like they they missed a chance there because that's kind of what is interesting about it you know if especially because it's it's done in a positive way you know like this is all just about like it would be cool to be if it was more queer but it isn't I don't know like I didn't did you like I don't know but then again like I don't know how queer is drag it is very um, queer. It's very <laughs> queer. It's like, it's very queer, but not always gay, I guess is the way to say it. Um, because like, there are people who are in drag who are super duper straight, like myself, but are also just kind of, I don't call myself queer because I just don't think, you know, that that label belongs to other people. But there's like the whole idea of gender queer and sort of being fluid with stuff. So you already have to, even if you're a straight person in drag, you're already going into it with like a little bit of a skewed perspective on what a lot of rules and roles are. Um, So there's like the queering of normal society rules as opposed to being like gay, you know, and there's most, I will say most of the men in drag are gay, uh, but a lot of the women who are drag kings um, or faux queens, it kind of goes back and forth. And then there's also, like, a lot of people who are non-binary and they kind of do whatever aesthetics they want. So it's, I would say drag is certainly queerer than these movies. I would also say that the latest, 1982 was the most recent movie we're talking about. And in the 30-odd years since that movie's come out, I think the description of gay straight queer all that has kind of exploded into a much broader spectrum right where i think you know i mean even still people are weird about about bisexuality uh even in like the gay scene there's always jokes that people 
don't believe that like bi men exist and you know so i think that it's it would probably be like too much to ask to have like a real introspective thread in this movie i wonder if they made something now or even if it because it was brought back as a stage play through the 90s i think like on broadway i feel like i remember seeing ads for it but I, I think that like maybe it would be something where if it was a play now if it was kind of updated that there was a lot more that could be put in there could be a lot more levels and sort of layers of people wondering about sexuality and about gender and about what this means versus what that means and I mean also with this one it all it has all these like kind of funny subplots or like you know uh the James Garner James Garner's character is like a mob boss and he's got this silly like ditzy girlfriend played by what's her name Leslie Ann Howard from Clue and so right isn't that Leslie Ann Warren Warren that's it um you know who's great she's but you know it's so there's I do think in in some ways this one plays with a couple of like traditional representations of male and female and then skews them enough you know, it, it's like as best you can expect from a mainstream movie from the 80s. Because he does, he's kind of is like bored of his girlfriend, which is such a, sort of a fucked up thing to say too. But part of what draws him to Julie Andrews' character is that she is interesting and exciting. And because he is introduced to her as a man, he kind of like meets her at his level. He's not yeah. like, oh, the, my little baby girl, you know. Even if he's kind of like, I don't think so. He's at least socially treating her like a man, which I always thought was kind of an interesting. And in that, because there was less dialogue and character development, that's one that something that the 33 one doesn't have quite as much. You know, it doesn't really have that same play of like her love interest being sort of a shitty dude, being this like high rolling mob boss who's got this this girl who's just arm candy. He's just kind of, in the 33 one, he's just kind of a guy. Yeah. Long story short, I think it would be hard to really have, like, a look into what it means to be queer or straight or confused in something like this, but I don't think it's impossible nowadays. I think if it was rebooted, I think we might be able to to have that. It's interesting because, as you said that just now, um, about... James Garner's character um, being more attracted to her because she acts like a man. I feel like that then goes back into, I said all women want want a man who's a woman. I feel like all men just want a woman who's a man. <laughs> because <there> Sometimes. <laughs> this movie for sure, I mean, and it, you know, like, and his character is really cool in the way that when he does think, well, maybe I'm, I'm in love with a man, or at least he has to pretend he's in love with a man publicly to basically get in her pants he's totally chill with it i mean he's not thrilled about it as a straight man in the 80s but he's also like ah fuck it like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, okay i I guess i'm gay now you know it's like and and that was kind of a a cool thing to see in the 80s but um he's like i'm rich and powerful fuck you i'm gay yeah exactly like and and that was and i love and there's a scene where his his bodyguard is like i'm so inspired by you doing this and (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely cool. I mean, kind of, I guess like the 33, this one plays a lot with also gender roles and expectations. And as you said, there's, there's more room for them to really address it, but I did kind of want a little bit more 
of Victoria talking about how drag made her feel because in this movie, she sort of stands up and says, well, I'm not going to give this up because I have a solid gig and people love me. So I don't care about love. I'd much rather continue to do drag. If you can't deal with that, then peace out. And that was cool. But I also am like, like talk more about that because it it is interesting that, you know, she doesn't, it's the same issue that that from the 1933 one as a man she has more power in society playing a woman than she does as a woman being herself which i think is probably the more interesting aspect of both of these films than than so much anything that's terribly queer it's like i don't know i guess like these movies to me feel like especially nowadays they're not so queer because there's really nothing gay happening (laughs) right right especially in this because we are you know it is talking about like a woman dressed as a man and then like a man falling in love with her and then finding out she's a woman or like thinking she's a woman so really at the end of the day it's not about a gay romance you know it is about a straight romance that's... yeah these are super straight love stories like yeah that end with like you know the wedding bells basically right and there's like a sort of weird flirtation with the queer world and in the, in the middle I well you know it's funny actually as far as like this is a different movie entirely but a movie that i think is gayer in a lot of ways even though it's not uh not necessarily as like draggy is some like it hot because there's a lot oh, yeah. in that movie where you know Jack Lemon at some point just decides he's like, Well yeah, I can marry this old guy. And right. Tony Curtis is like, You're you're a man though. You're a man who's we've been interested in women this whole time. This is like, you know, half the reason we're thrilled with this weird gig we managed to con ourselves into. Like, I thought you loved Marilyn Monroe and he's like, Yeah, well, you know, I like being wine and dined. I like, you know, that's <laughs> that's almost a, a gayer movie in a lot of senses. Even when he admits he's a man and the guy's just like, Oh, nobody's perfect. You know, right. it's less about these traditional love stories and sort of ends on like a quirkier note. But yeah, it's I, I think with with Victor and Victoria I think also they were probably trying to like walk a delicate line as to not make it too campy and it's not performance numbers are beautifully produced and everything, but it's not too Wong Fu. It's not the birdcage. It's not something that like really has a lot of over the top versions of gay people or, or even performance just in general, you know? So I, wonder if that was maybe part of it where it is a little restrained in a lot of places yeah i mean robert preston's character uh as real as he felt a a lot of his performance and his comedy is very like it just reminded me of uh like straight out of a 50s musical basically and in the best way but it's like this sort of soft shoe lounge number quipping right you know like i was like this could have been and this could have been dean martin this could have been you know dean martin never would have done this but (laughs) he should (laughs) have oh he would have made such a pretty woman he did with uh with jerry lewis he did it but he would never admittedly do something like this but um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was funny because it is definitely, it's playing towards, I guess, maybe that's it. It's playing towards a straight audience. Right. And, uh, at, at bare minimum, at least I, I appreciated this one being so, um, progressive and, and again, just, it's amazing. I mean, we don't even have movies today. They, that they, they, you can't get through the damn movie without them making some kind of gay joke. 
Right, right. And, you know, how easy it is to sort of fall back on stereotypes, even movies that I love. Like I mentioned The Birdcage before, and I love The Birdcage. I love all the characters. I think Nathan Lane's character is built with enough sort of sensitivity in mind that it's not like this ridiculous stereotype, but it is still a very stereotypical role. It's still this you know, very precious gay man living in, in Miami Beach who just goes all to pieces whenever he thinks something's wrong. You know, oh, Armand, you know, like that kind of stuff. Whereas, like, Carol Todd's character really is just a person. He's like a guy who works in the theater who's gay. You know, he's not like, I'm a gay man. It's really just like, yeah, I'm I'm a guy. Oh, I'm gay. You know, it's a little bit more... It's, it does feel more rooted in a less, like, comedic performance, like someone something like Nathan Lane or even the, the performances of Some Like It Hot, where they are really going for campy, goofy laughs. And like you said, his lines are funny, but they're sarcastic funny. You know, they're, they're sort of like sardonic, world-weary funny. They're not necessarily like, oh, honey, I'm going to go to Boca to die, you know. Um, <laughs> the birdcage is free on YouTube, and I've watched it like four <laughs> times in, in the quarantine. So, so thinking about Victor and Victoria now, do you did you find either of these movies relatable to your own experience and with drag? Um, you know, kind of. In have you felt empowered doing drag? Yes, and I will also say that the reason. I fell out of theater when I did, uh, you know, I kind of fell out of doing, especially musical theater when I was in high school because I would get callbacks. I was like recognized for having talent at least. And then would be at callbacks and kind of see like the tall, will we pretty blonde and the, the, <laughs> the girl who I knew was going to play the character. It was going to be like the character actor type. And usually they were like, plain looking and a little heavy set. And I was always like, can an average bitch just get a role? Um, <laughs> like you kind of don't see a, a place for yourself. And right. then honestly, a lot of times I'd be looking at, uh, and I say the Scarlet Pimpernel is like a great example of this where I really kind of was like, I, there's no place for me here. Cause you would look at these, the, the, the books, like the scores for a musical and all the women's roles, all the women's songs were like, where's my man? I'm so in love and I don't know where he is. And then all the men's were like, we're going into fire. We're going into hell. We're here for battle. We're here for excitement. And I just never wanted to play a woman's role. I always hated them. I was always like, how come they're all just like talking about men? They're just talking about like the dudes they love and all the men are talking about all the interesting things they're, they're going to do. And this is kind of speaking to a bigger issue with like gender and gender representation in general, where that never really, I didn't want to be singing like sweet ballads about how I, I love my man and I hope he's safe. I was like, I don't give a shit. Let's talk about like riding into battle. Um, so, and I think that was when everyone, when Les Mis was big, when I was like 12 and we were all into Les Mis and, Everyone, all the girls were like, I want to play Epony, and I want to play Epony, and she was like the big one. Um, and I was like, yeah, 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 of course, of course I play Epony too. And always in my head was like, no, 
I want to play Javert. I'm like, you can't, as a 12-year-old, you can't quite say that. You know, nobody... Oh, I said it. (laughs) Good for you. I'm glad you did. Do you know my... my... Yeah, that story of you playing the prince. (laughs) Yeah, dude. I And I tried for years because it first... This was my elementary school, I think in fourth grade. The school play was um, Grease, <laughs> which of course was huh. pretty heavily censored. But um, yeah, I was going to say. I wanted to be Danny and I tried out for Danny. Uh, and I almost got Danny. And then finally they were like, uh, I don't know, that's too progressive. <laughs> and they, they put me as Rizzo. Which, oh, actually, which was I, which was which was good. I enjoyed it. Rizzo's a rare female character, you know. Yeah, it's very, very, very true. And then the next year, same thing. They were doing some made-up Sleeping Beauty, like that. They altered it ridiculously, and so I tried out. I was like, "Fuck this! I'm not going to be a dwarf. I'm not going to be Sleeping Beauty. I want to be Prince Charming." And I tried out, uh, and I got the I got the role because it was between me and a boy, and I did a, a British accent, and I was like, I can do a British accent, and they were like, What? Like, yeah, hell yeah, like you're okay, you're in. And then I will never forget my uh, like intro on stage, the first performance that we had to do of many performances uh, throughout the day because it was a school play, um, and I. I literally pranced out on stage in my tights and the entire (laughs) picture public school in, in Canarsie, Brooklyn, the entire crowd goes, Oh Oh, shit. You know, like that's not, that's not a boy. That's a girl, you know, like everyone, the entire school. And that's not a real dwarf. (laughs) Let's riot. Nobody said that about the dwarves. But everyone, oh my God, that was one of those like, that's when, when I think probably I realized fully that comedy is a great angle to go. <laughs> right, sure, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you. I hated, I hated all the roles for women and um, I'm just waiting for you to bring your drag troupe to New York so I can be part of your all-female mash Oh my God, I know. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm dying to do drag mash because it just it's begging for it 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 really is it really is and i would love to play hawkeye i gotta work on my my alan alda just watch have you ever seen bill this is a sidetrack but have you ever seen bill Hader's alan alda impression yes it's unreal it's unreal it's so good i just keep watching that and being like man I want to be as good as that. I want to sound exactly like Alan Alda. But you yeah. It's... Call it Bill Hader. <laughs> yeah, we should totally call it Bill Hader. All, all drag, like, performance with Bill Hader as. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he can be hot lips. Yeah, I was like, you know, he can be... He can be my personal man servant who will be waiting for me in my dressing room when I'm done performing. Um... So Victor Victoria, the 1933 one is is really charming and fun, and you guys need to go check it out. Uh, see if it's still streaming. Otherwise, I'm sure that this will start popping up in theaters once life returns. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> God willing, when life returns. Um, and yeah, otherwise, go rent the Victor Victoria from 1982, right? Or go see Veronica do a, a performance. Yeah, th- hey, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube. 
Just look up Drunk Drag Broadway on YouTube. We got a whole bunch of what was that, Veronica? Drunk Drag, Drunk drag Broadway. Broadway? <laughs> I would say look up Drunk Drag Broadway hairsprayed and see me as Tracy. I'm typing it in my Google right now. <laughs> the most psychotic Tracy you've ever seen in your life. Veronica, that's, besides that's being an kind of uh, insightful uh, writer and film critic, has a great set of pipes. And um, it does of pipes, <laughs> among other things, and uh, is uh, awesome. And you have to totally check that out. Drunk Drag Broadway. Yeah, I guess I meant to say my drag name earlier and I didn't, did I? Yeah. What's your drag name? Tell the people. Titus Androgynous. Tapping Brilliant. into uh, the historical time when we weren't even allowed on stage as women. So... <laughs> That's kind of, it's always, yeah, it's a funny thing where it's like, there's, what I do love about the San Francisco drag scene is uh, there's a lot of people working very hard to make it a very inclusive world because there is a lot of misogyny still among gay men, just, you know, in general, and especially when it comes to drag. And I know RuPaul did this whole thing about like, you know, it's dangerous for a man wearing a dress. That's why trans women and women don't understand it. And I was like, well, it's dangerous for trans women and women all the time. Like, we're just constantly living in danger. So, like, relax. We we figured that out. But, like, drag did... The, the history of drag has, you know, kind of waves. But the roots of it start in a time when women weren't allowed to be on stage. You know, it's... So, the fact that there are these drag scenes that are really going, like... We want women and we want non-binary people and we want trans people is very um, uplifting. And there's a lot of leaders in the drag world. Uh, China Make It, who's the the founder of Drunk Drag Broadway, is one of them. And Darcy Dollinger, who owns Oasis, where we perform a lot, is someone who just like really going out of their way to open this world up to everyone because, as they love to say, they're they're you know, their slogan is like, drag is for fun. You know, it's like you take it seriously and you put work and time into it. But at the end of the day, if you're not having fun and if you're being shitty to people, then you're kind of doing it wrong. It's it's supposed to be this like uplifting thing um, or this, you know, outspoken thing, something that's political or whatever it is, but it's not supposed to be exclusionary. So that has little to do with Victor Victoria, but more to do with like how 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 the world is going to be operating on spectrums for i think the foreseeable future where people are kind of done with the binary of like black white you know you're not allowed we're allowed i think it's soon opening up to just like we want everyone to be involved we want space for everyone which is heartwarming it is so veronica do you want to sing us out <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know if I really have anything that's you have like a goodbye song. For... That, you know what, that was one <laughs> thing about both of these. I thought the music was a little mediocre. For sure. For sure. What's funny with the 33 one is that the singing is so like woven into it where it's not like they're musical numbers. It's just kind of like people, like you said, operatic in a way where people are just kind of like singing what's happening, which is kind of funny. Um... And the 82 one isn't a musical, it just has performances. And the music in the performances is okay, but it's not... Yeah, I'm with you, where it's not something that just, like, 
blows you away or where you're like, oh, I can't get that song stu- like out of my head. I think there's one song, like the first song she does in the 1982 version, I really like. Like the Lady from Spain song or something. But most of it, I can't even really... I like I couldn't place the tune. If someone was playing it, I'd be like, "Oh yeah." Uh, so nothing, nothing quite is. We should sing uh, "Into the Fire" from Scarlet Pimpernel, but we need a whole chorus of dancing boys or girls dressed as boys. But you know, <laughs> I, in general, we'd need that actually. We but... Just we should just always have a chorus of dancing boys. I'm trying to think of what's a good goodbye song. Like, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, <laughs> but I know. What about, um, shoot, I can't think of any. I was even going to think of like a Dean Martin one, but I can't even. Everybody needs a drag persona sometime. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> 